Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which is rather extensive and continually being updated. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemy's List. Our guest today on The Enemies List is Ryan J. Riley. Ryan is an NBC News justice reporter, the author of Sedition Hunters, How January 6th Broke the Justice System, and a guy who is tied into Washington, D.C. and knows what the heck is going on at a level of granularity like very few other folks in the media. And so I'm honored to have Ryan with me today. And I wanted to start off, Ryan, in the last couple of days, we have seen the House of Representatives name as their speaker a guy who was an essential part of the insurrectionist ideal that led to January 6th. How does that shape the perception of what happened that day? What do you think it means for the Congress? And what do you think it means for the, for the people that are still in the justice system paying the price for having violently attacked the Capitol? You know, I, there's this, the thing we go back and forth on every time is trying to figure out whether someone actually believes it or whether they're just doing it for political expediency. And like, that's Mm -hmm. the core of a lot of this for me. You see it with, you know, the lies about the stolen election, as well as I think this whole notion of the FBI set up January 6th that a lot of, you know, now we've seen on the right that has been really taken up. Um, And it's really tough to figure out sometimes because you really don't, he was very deeply involved with a lot of the legal efforts. And, you know, I think he's a smart guy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's tough to figure out where he actually falls because if you just examine some of these claims about the election, they sort of fall apart on their face and they're re- and they're ridiculous, right? Like a lot of the, a lot of the affidavits that they were putting forward um, at the time in, in 2020 were just like insane. You know, one thing I didn't realize until I sort of started working on the book and going through a lot of these FOIA documents were, you know, Melissa Carone. She was this individual who was sort of parodied on SNL and was just her testimony was just openly ridiculous and it was funny that anyone would take that seriously. But that was something that Mark Meadows was sending up to the Attorney General of the United States after the election, sending along that Corona affidavit. And like, that's the quality of stuff that the garbage they were feeding in uh, to the Justice Department beforehand. So, you know, you never really know with a lot of these people what they at their core believe in a lot of instances, whether or not they actually, you know, think the election is stolen or whether they're just saying that because that's what their voters believe. My back of the envelope is that probably 20% of them actually believe it was stolen and and the rest are just scared to cross the line with Trump or the or the base or Fox or, or however you look at it. You mentioned one of the things, one of the ancillary big lies of the big lie that the election was stolen was that somehow Ray Epps and the secretive FBI 
engineered January 6th and that they, that they created this gigantic conspiracy that was meant to, quote, make Trump look bad. Talk to me a little bit about, like, what's the origin story of that lie and, and, and you know, remind our viewers how easily debunked it is. Sure. I can lean into to Ray Epps a little bit, but I think like broader picture, one thing that really just jumps out at me and I fundamentally, there's a disconnect for me is that, you know, traditionally all my life, conservatism and all of my friends and family who are uh, conservative, it's been about the government is ineffective and private, you know, the private sector is much more effective. And for some reason, in the case of January 6th, all of that just seems to go out the window. And they think <laughs> the smartest people in the universe are working right. for the FBI. Set aside whether or not you think the FBI, like just set aside whether or not they're actually like just that evil and that's what they're doing but like just competency like imagine pulling off this massive crime across several states or like setting this up and just like leaving no traces like that would be a super genius move you would have to have the best operators possible and the reality of the fbi is just a lot different i think from the hollywood image and that's sort of an ongoing theme of the book where it really is just a lot of bureaucracy and, you know, I make the joke, it's more the office than CSI, right? Like their, their technology is really just behind the private sector, the sleuths who are doing this outside of government and not right. dealing with the inside of bureaucracy. And like, you know, I, I, I hear all of these things like, oh, the FBI was manipulating this behind the scenes. And then I'm reading thousands of pages of FBI email. And it's like, you know, set from my Samsung email. and like, sorry for the formatting, you know, mess up. Like, <laughs> oh, I have a word. It's just like the basic sort of everyday drudgery that you would expect of a bureaucracy. And that's what a lot of this is, but they think they're these master manipulators and because they can't get that messaging out, I think that's unfortunately gone to the broader public. But you know, with Ray Epps specifically, basically this was a guy who was recorded the night before January 6th saying, you know, we should go in the Capitol. Um, he's ultimately charged now, which just right. the fact that he's charged completely obliterates any suggestion that he was a fed. Imagine if you were working for the federal government right. and then, Hey man, you might have to go to jail just to, maintain your cover it's not it's fundamentally doesn't work but no one there's this ongoing thing where no one seems to be able to take the l and like admit defeat in this case where they just can't say like oh no this was really dumb i was wrong uh because it's deeply embarrassing for anyone who put forward that suggestion that now he's charged and that is completely debunked but no one's admitting that they were just wrong and were putting out garbage out there because they didn't understand the fundamentals of how all of this worked and picked up pieces of information but you know there's not there's not an admission of guilt at any point in terms of like I was wrong. This was ridiculous. And even though there's n numerous people like Ray Epps who everyone was like, this is the linchpin. This is that person. And then, you know, oh, this is Antifa. This is an undercover Fed. And then lo and behold, just another Trump supporter who thought the election was stolen. Like every time it just works like magic. I'm wondering how many of these people, and you followed the cases, and, and I, I tend to go down the rabbit hole when you post these stories about these people who, who had this one shining moment where they were going to charge the Capitol. And now, you know, two and a half years later, the justice system is like, no, sir. You, in fact, went in and attacked this cop, or you broke this thing, or you charged through this broken window, or whatever. I've, I know one of them. This one older lady, the the MAGA granny. She came on a Twitter threads with me a couple or spaces a couple weeks ago, and was like so heartbroken that she got so tricked. Are are many of these people like f realizing this, or are a lot of them still pretty defiant about it? I don't know if I want to break it down to percentage, but there's definitely a mix in terms of how they feel. And it's sometimes also tough to feel, to, to tell what they really feel. And it's so interesting because, you know, at, when it gets to that point, when it gets to the point where you're pleading guilty or you're being sentenced, you know, obviously there some of these lives have really been, you know, ruined or torn apart, or this has at least significantly affected um, their lives. And it's so inner, it's so, you know, mixed together this idea of being apologetic with uh, whether you still believe that the election was stolen 
And, you know, to a certain extent, if I try to put myself in other people's shoes, it's always a good experiment. And if I was, if I still thought the election was stolen, what would I be sorry for? As long as I didn't do any, like, sure, you might separate it out like, oh, I think the election was stolen, but sure, I shouldn't have assaulted that cop. Fine. But like, fundamentally, if you still think the election is stolen, then, well, there's a, there's the world's greatest criminal is in the White House right now. And I'm getting my life torn apart because I walked into a building, you know, with a sign or something. And like, you know, right. So I, I, I kind of understand that, but it, it just becomes this weird space where judges shouldn't and can't be like, do you still think the election was stolen? There's not like a, a, a litmus test on what their belief about the election is, but it's so tied together because it really doesn't make sense why you would be apologetic for something if you still fundamentally believe that the election was stolen and that, you know, there's a usurper in the White House and that all of this is illegal, you know? So it's, it's interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that really does require you have to believe that we are under an occupied government with a, with a usurper who is politically illegitimate in the White House. And I just, even these people at some point, you feel, I feel like, at least sort of intuitively, that a few of them are doing this because they want to try to minimize their sentences. But a few of them have realized, like, whether you t- take it at their very best of I got caught up in the moment or you take it at the worst of I got busted, a lot of them seem to be, or not a lot, uh, but a number of them seem to be like, oh my God, it was, it wasn't, there wasn't going to be a revolution that day. There wasn't a legal pathway to uh, sort this out. But speaking of the legal pathway question, Mike Johnson was part of that you know fairly smart group of constitutional lawyers who in the House were part of trying to put together a legal predicate for overturning the 2020 election. Do you have a, a sense of where he was in that sort of hierarchy? I know there were a lot of Republican lawyers, and I know like Mike Lee and others were having these phone calls with the White House. Was was Johnson a part of that level of that sort of uh, legal infrastructure to try to overturn the election? Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. He wasn't one of the big figures who necessarily popped on my radar in terms of the being in communication with the Justice Department um, directly or that or that sort of thing. But he was obviously involved in this sort of legal argument. And I think that's what we saw. I'm, I'm blanking on his name now, but the congressman who uh, was talking about this idea that, you know, like didn't think we should get someone who was an election denier really in the in the, uh, in the speakerhood and then flipped on it and then said, oh, OK, well, in this case, you know, he was make, basically making these legal arguments. And I think they sort of make that distinction between, you know, whether they're just doing this legally or whether they are some people to um, the Capitol. But I was I was looking back, I sort of actually when he was elected yesterday, I went back in and went to the sleuths and were like, it was like, okay, hey, what what kind where does he pop up on the radar? And you know, he was calling into Fox News uh, on January 6th during the Capitol attack itself and was like on the on a phoner with them while he was off in hiding. Um, and it just seems like such an obvious and that's part of the, the thing too that like you know the FBI just really should have seen this coming. And I think that the FBI 
has gotten a pass largely, uh, you know, especially from the January 6th committee. Uh, while they did a tremendous job of focusing all of this attention on Donald Trump, I think that they were worried that it was going to complicate the narrative if you brought in sort of a law enforcement angle and what the FBI mistakes that were made here, which I think is important. It is interesting to see like, you know, these figures now are in these prominent positions and you know, it, they got, a reporter got booed when they were asking them what they sort of thought about the election. And it's this really important thing because we're going to have another election. Like, spoiler alert, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. Shocker. And, <laughs> and no matter what happens, I actually think there's, you know, a very – he has a, you know, a very good chance of this in, in the polling. I think that, you know, it's it's not – this is no, by no means going to be a blowout against um, Donald Trump necessarily, you know, but no matter what happens, I think he's going to claim he won. And what are we going to do that time? Right. And because there's just a situation where people believe this deep in their bones and in their hearts, something that is fundamentally untrue. And it was just so predictable beating coming up to January 6th that we didn't really, you know, that we didn't predict what, what could have happened when people believed a crazy conspiracy theory. You know, it's ironic. We, Reed Galen and, and, and Stuart Stevens and I wrote an op-ed, I think, in October. And we asked our Republican colleagues, what are you going to do if Trump denies the election? Are you going to cross that Rubicon with him if they go to violence? And and we wrote it then, put it away. And then January 6th, when it started happening, all of us were like, oh, my God. It, look, even a guy like me, I've got a pretty dark view of what Trump's capable of. Even I was like, on January 6th, like, good God, I can't I can't believe what I'm watching. You know, so speaking of Trump, who is the sort of prime mover and centerpiece of all the things underneath this chaos for these people, he's having a pretty rough week, legally speaking. He's been getting reprimanded from the judge. He's been storming out of the courtroom. Um, he's had a bunch of his uh, folks flip uh, in the Georgia case and more in the offing, apparently. Give us your like, sort of 30,000-foot view of where he stands in the, both the New York and the Georgia uh, legal wrangles right now because – they seem to be getting a little more intense than even I anticipated for him. Yeah, you know, when it's my full-time job to cover uh, <laughs> all of these cases. And even I have trouble, I, I, I have trouble keeping up with it. So I really kind of worry sometimes with the general public whether this is going to break through. Because, you know, just even casual conversations with, with friends who are more, much more usually typically read in than, you know, probably your average American to what's going on. It's like, which case is this again? And what's happening here? It's just like, so, there's so much chaos that, um, it's hard to sort of keep track of. I do think that it seems like timeline wise, when I just put, set this out on a map and I sort of think of this selfishly too, because I'm the DOJ reporter in uh, DC and uh, the Jack Smith case is the first one that I'm going, uh, well, the main one that I'm focused on, but it seems like that is going to be the lead definitive case. And I think that that's important because, you know, as important as the, as the, uh, the documents uh, cases out of Florida, I think that's going to get kicked down the road. There's some complicated issues there. Um, also obviously a triple appointed judge, um, and a bad was, jury pool. Yes. A jur- the jury pool as well. Um, but you know, jury pools can surprise you. Uh, I would say, uh, it's, 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 you know, sometimes the, the, the Vordier process does sometimes sort some of those things, um, out in the mix. And there've been January six cases where despite the makeup of DC defendants have been acquitted on certain charges, like they really have followed the evidence. I mean, the evidence is so overwhelming that it's not as though there will be people getting off the hook completely, but specific charges, they have been, they, a number of cases have been uh, dismissed. But I think that the Jack Smith case in DC really is kind of the definitive one that this is really building around. And I also think that, you know, judge Chuckin isn't going to put up with too much there. And while there might be some slight slippage on the date, I do think that that March date is probably going to hold relatively firm and it's coming up 
um, so quickly. And I mean, that's going to be something that is on the calendar and has a resolution long before uh, the election. So really, at that point, you know, if 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 this, as long as there are sort of no surprises, it does seem like it's going to be a circumstance where there's a pending conviction and potential sentencing going into the general election in a year from now. And I mean, you know, if you follow it out and you just like put this on the calendar, okay, March, say, give it, you know, April, end of, even if it's end of April or something, uh, you end in a resolution there. It's usually three months out from when there is when you actually impose the sentences in these cases. That's probably not going to hold, but like there will be, it seems like, you know, there might be a pending, <laughs> a pending sentencing against the, you know, sitting Republican nominee. And, and the weird thing about it is, you know, we've, we've been doing a lot of polling on it and, and Republican voters don't care. They, yeah. don't, they don't care. They, it does not move them. It's so intertwined now that it's almost like the legal strategy is the, is the political strategy. I just think it's like, that's what it is. Like, right. He's running because that's going to bust all of this open. Otherwise there, this would just be, you know, dealt with in a much, much different way. Um, but that's not where his sort of incentives are. I think that's a really good observation that 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 the legal and the political are absolutely running, if not even on parallel tracks, in intertwined in an intertwined way. Because, right, you know, and I I think he's been playing chicken with DOJ, you know, yeah. And once he has the nomination, I think that that and there's a rumor going around right now that the that the RNC is going to basically after the first three primaries just declare him the nominee, like get way ahead of the August convention date, and and so he has that status at that moment as part of a legal defense, which I right. think would be, it's novel. I don't know if it really changes the legal side of it in any meaningful way, but I think it, it does that, the public perception. And I just do, I, I do worry about DOJ and OLC saying, well, you know, now he's the nominee and it's a you know, public perception of the, I, I, I that's, yeah. a, that's a fear I have that I can't quite shake, honestly. Yeah. So many of these rules, I do think that that like that, the system wasn't built for this no, sort of no. situation <laughs> in like in just so many ways where you're like, Oh, this, this is not kind of the norm. And you sometimes see like a little bit of breakage, like in, in, I think of Chris Ray a lot with this, you know, Chris Ray is someone who, I mean, let's remember here, a Republican, yes. um, lifelong Republican. And like, uh, it's just very interesting when you finally have him snap at one of these hearings and not snap, but point out the ridiculousness of what's being alleged like you know oh you were biased against conservatives and it's just like it's a head scratcher for a moment he's like he's you know considering my own personal history right. i don't know that that makes a ton of sense but and have sure, you met you know? the fbi senior leadership <laughs> yes like republicans all the way down like, right. Right? it's you know like, it's, it's good like, irish I mean, catholic republicans from boston yes. i mean come on people <laughs> Yeah, but that's, I mean, you know, it's very surprising when uh, we have, you just like, you you go back even, you know, I, eight years now, right? And sure. you would just say, like, like, oh, hey, um, uh, the Republican Party thinks that the FBI, yes, that FBI is is super biased against uh, <laughs> against Republicans. And it's just a, a real head scratcher. Meanwhile, there's a sitting member of uh, the Senate, uh, a Democrat, uh, who is under indictment um, for um, alleged yeah. crime. So it just like doesn't check out this whole idea. And hun- also Hunter Biden was charged. It just right. doesn't make like, you know, this if the deep states is, is pulling 
strings behind here. They're, gosh, not doing a great job. As I always just say, um, you know, if the deep state is as powerful as you think it is and as what as whatever it is, nobody's showing up for work because it's really letting a lot of things <laughs> slip. Yeah. So in the Georgia case, you've got Jenna Ellis and you've got Cheeseboro and you've got this seemingly an, another long list of other uh, folks that were indicted along with him. They're all starting to flip and starting to turn. I think Rudy will be the last. But what do you think the impact of that is on not only on Trump's legal strategy and his psychology, but on where that affects like Trump's current lawyers? If I'm if I'm a Trump attorney right now, I've got to be like, ooh, I better watch my step. Yeah, um, and you know, not make arguments, bad faith arguments. I think is a is a big component of that. You know, it it is just such a juxtaposition because you know I think a lot of people just saw sort of the individuals who are signing up and just saw it as openly ridiculous. And, you know, I think as Bill Barr even described it, a clown car of, of, of attorneys, it was just not, not people who uh, were really that re- all that, you know, relevant, or it was people who were trying to gain some relevancy or sort of like, you know, out, I think out of the, out of the game and wanted to sort of jump back in. I mean, you know, Rudy Giuliani uh, top of the list sort of, sort of there um, also obviously had some, financial uh <laughs> ongoing uh, deeply issues. deeply um, bad financial situation yeah yeah and like and i was not getting paid apparently by uh was upset about that and trying but you know i just was i listened i remember listening to the one argument and it was like it's during i think it was a pennsylvania case where rudy's arguing is he's in the first he's in court for the first time in like 30 years and mm-hmm. the judge comes up on a question about strict scrutiny which is like a first year of law school uh sort of question and he just uh and like he's like and what level the judge was like, what level of scrutiny should i uh, uh you know be applying here and um he just goes, um, uh, the, the normal one, you're not sending your best, you know, you're, you're right though. <laughs> I mean, Rudy, cause I worked for Rudy in the nineties, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And he had not been in a courtroom. He, he had one court case, but he was not, he was of counsel, but he was not the lead guy on the, in the, in the courtroom. Uh, for Activision, like in the mid two thousands, but it was a you know one of these like business law things. It was incredibly not Rudy's lane, but his he was the rainmaker on the case, whatever. But no, he had not been in a courtroom in a very long time, and it showed. It showed. <laughs> uh, and, and what did they lose? They, not just Rudy, but the 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 Trump legal effort to overturn this. They lost sixty plus cases um, in the course of the, the, the year in which they litigated all this stuff. Right. And that case in particular was just like, the judge was pretty straightforward about what was happening there. I think in his, in his final opinion, and was like, they were trying to disenfranchise millions of people. And I think sometimes we, we get like lost at like what the actual goal was there. And the goal was to disenfranchise entire States, including, you know, like that was, that was the end goal. This wasn't to uh, do a recount. This wasn't to, you know, figure out some way that we could take out votes that we didn't like, because that wasn't a possibility. It was just they wanted to obliterate the entire the entire state electoral, like they wanted to get rid of those electoral college votes and not have them count. Um, and that's, the, you know, like that's definitely what it was. As one of them told an, an associate of mine um, back at the moment, I, I tweeted about it when it happened, they really wanted to, to knock out Pennsylvania in particular, because there were, there was a there was a upsurge in African American turnout from where Hillary had been in the Philly suburbs, and and I knew about the program because Lincoln Project funded it to turn those people out. And they basically were like, "Well, we're going to try to take this million vote, these million African American voters in Pennsylvania off the off the table." I'm not an attorney, but but it was so constitutionally pernicious that that I, I can't imagine a, a you know 
I guess lawyers always defend their clients zealously, but in that case, it would it would be a hard a hard lift to say, "Wow, I'm going to go in and, and and try to overturn an election," but basically going to be in the states where African American turnout was above average. Yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, just a really unbelievably dark idea. Yeah, my, I'm I'm from the Philly area, so that's somewhere I really oh, okay. focused on. And yeah, when yeah. you just like look at like the, what's I don't think like has I think some people recognize, but isn't probably should be broader. Is that like he did better in Philly and Detroit? Trump did better in Philly and Detroit than he did in 2016. And like it just doesn't make sense what they were sort of suggesting here um, because he did bet he performed better. Like yeah. yes, you know there are parts of of Philly, Northeast Philly around, you know, four seasons, uh, uh, Total landscaping, um, <laughs> right. You know, across from the crematorium and the next to the sex shop, um, that went for Trump there. He won parts of Philly. And I think that that is what, you know, people, it's just, it's so ingrained. And I think there is like a lot, much longer history of, of that within the Republican party in terms of, uh, just like focusing on, you know, urban vote, like urban voting, as they sort of say. And, um, you know, he, he definitely, you know, really leaned into these pre, you know, it's, it's that, you know, uh, you didn't build that sort of thing, right? Like he did it, Trump did not took advantage of this thing that was already this major strain, I think, within uh, the Republican Party about like, you know, voter turnout in cities, right? right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and really leaned, leaned into that hard. Uh, and you saw that with, you know, Rudy Giuliani saying, for example, two innocent women women who were volunteering for their for their elections were passing along what he claimed was a USB drive and just, you know, says it's oh like it was a vial of crap. Like it's like it's just it's there's not even it's not even a dog whistle. Those, no, it's a dog air raid siren in the in yeah. that case. And 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 yeah, the, the the Ruby Freeman in that that particular case, I think when they testified during the January 6th hearings, I think people were really sort of stunned like like these were not some sort of again, like you were saying, they're not part of like this sophisticated deep state conspiracy. They're volunteers who are trying to do good, like do their civic duty, and then they're turned into targets. Which you know, I, I think I think there's a, a part of our political culture that has become very comfortable with much more directly targeting individuals who, with whom you disagree politically. Um, but in this era of the mob culture and social media culture. People like that are really put at risk. Yeah, it's completely true. Yeah. As I pointed out to somebody, the, the bravest people on 1-6 were, aside from the police officers, were those two young women who were carrying out the certified election result cases and got them away from the mob. I mean, that was that was a moment where people underestimate how close we came to a big, a more fundamental collapse in the country, I think, than than. Yeah. than than almost anybody has realized uh, or realized at the time. Yeah. And one thing that just didn't even for me, like in the lead up to January 6th itself, I didn't recognize until I really worked on the book, just how intertwined a lot of that interference from the Oval Office had been with the preparations for January 6th. Because if you think about that big, you know, knockdown drag out fight where the, in the, um, at the White House where all these Justice Department officials are going to quit, that was on Sunday. And you're coming off of like basically the, you know, vacation time and that, you know, no one's firing on all cylinders, let alone federal bureaucracy in the final two weeks of December. Um, And there was also an attack that took place in Nashville. They were very distracted at this point. Um, And then you had a situation where you, they, they also lost access to one of their social media monitoring tools. It was just a sort of like perfect storm of events that ended up leading to them not being able to prepare because they thought the deputy attorney general, the acting deputy attorney general started taking things off of his walls on Sunday because he thought he was going to be fired. So you might say that the Justice Department was a bit distracted in the lead up uh, to January 6th. It certainly is something that is, I think, marked our country in a, in a way that we haven't, it hasn't fully worked its way through the system yet. 
And it's going to be a long time until it does. But until then, uh, folks, Ryan Riley is, again, the NBC justice reporter. Uh, he understands these things. Follow him on social media. It is Ryan J. Riley, correct? That's right, yeah. And pick up Sedition Hunters wherever books are sold. Right, and Sedition Hunters, wherever fine books are sold, it is on all the places. Um, it is a cracking good read, and it will give you an insight into the scope of what happened on that terrible day. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the Enemies List today. I really appreciate it. We look forward to having you back again. Thanks so much. First off the bat, it is the problem solver Republicans and the Biden 18 Republicans. Every single one of them, every one of them, we've talked about this before, but I'm just going to do it again. Every single one of them voted for Mike Johnson, the most extreme person in the contention for speaker in modern history. This guy makes Newt Gingrich look like Ted Kennedy. This guy is so far out there, and every single one of them voted for him. He's an insurrectionist. He is a part of the conspiracy to overthrow the legal count of the of the vote in 2020. And I don't care where you stand on the on, on the subject of abortion. He believes in a national abortion ban for everything at all times. He also wants to unwind gay marriage. He also wants to make uh, gay sex illegal. This is a guy who is way out there. And for all of you who want to pretend that you're moderates and centrists and do-gooders and problem solvers, um, none of you get to play that fucking game anymore. None of you. Not one of you. Okay? Not one of you get to play that game anymore. It's over. It's over. You are just as completely corrupt and completely depraved as Jim Jordan and Mike Johnson and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and the rest of them. You get to wear the red A of assholes and you are on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to the enemies list. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who like us is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.